Hello, friends, and welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching. As I mentioned on the last podcast, recently I've had the honor to get to help at a new Chinese church plant in Plano, Texas. And at that church plant, we've been going through the teachings of Jesus. And this week, I was asked to teach on Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. But because at our new little church plant, sometimes people come with no background in Christianity. Sometimes we have new believers who are just getting their feet wet in the faith. And so before we get into Matthew 5, 17 to 20, I just wanted to do a quick overview on what is the Bible. So the Bible is the story of God's mission to establish his dominion on the earth through a people that will willingly walk with him. Uh, Frank Viola says it this way, In eternity past, God the Father has been after a bride and a body for his son, and a house and a family for himself. These four images, the bride, the body, the house, and the family, comprise the grand narrative of the entire Bible. So, the Bible was written over 1,500 years, over a span of, of 1,500 years, over 3,000, you know, 500 years ago is when it, it began to be recorded and put together. And it was written uh, over, it has over 40 authors who contributed to it and 66 books over, you know, 1,500 years. So, it's a collection of covenants. The Bible has five or some people say six covenants, depending on how you count, and each covenant has a canon of literature that surrounds it, with the uh, largest by volume being the Mosaic Covenant, has the largest canon of literature surrounding it. But the Bible has the uh, God's covenant with Noah, God's covenant with Abraham, God's covenant with the people of Israel through Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, God's covenant with David, and then Jesus establishes the new covenant. So it's very helpful if we understand the Bible as a collection of covenants, because then we can kind of get a sense of what's going on and what parts of the Bible are relevant to our lives today. Now, all scripture has something to speak to us today. It's all written down for our instruction, and we can learn from every part of scripture, but it's not all equally applicable. So as we'll see, you know, God told Noah to build an ark. Well, God is not telling us to build an ark today. When God spoke to Noah, Noah accomplished the thing that God spoke to him. And so that word of the Lord has been fulfilled and it's not on us now to build an ark and to gather all of the animals. That was a word for Noah. So we'll see that this is uh, one of the things that Jesus is also coming to do. He's coming to fulfill the words of God that were spoken now, on the PowerPoint here, I'm putting up a picture of uh, Star Wars, of the very first Star Wars movie that came out in the 70s. And so now, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know that the first Star Wars movie that was produced was actually part four in the story of Star Wars, right? So when you first watched it, you thought, oh, that was really cool. But then 20, 30 years later, they came out with parts one through three, and then that kind of explained, oh, wow, this is what was going on before. This makes part four make even more sense. Same way with, for example, the Avengers movie. You could watch the in-game Avengers movie and still enjoy it, but it makes a lot more sense if you've seen Infinity War that came before it, right? So Jesus is coming on the scene after all of the Old Covenant, after 
God's covenant with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, and Jesus now arrives on the scene. So there's a lot of context in what Jesus is speaking to and, and the uh you know, the, the area that Jesus is li- living in and the context that he's in, the Bible says that Jesus was born under the law. And that was really important because if he hadn't been born under the law, he would not be able to fulfill the law. And that's what Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20 is all about. But just as a summary to, to kind of frame everything as we go forward, Jesus is coming to the earth to establish a new covenant, and part of his new covenant includes a new commandment. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what is Jesus saying to us? Let's get into this verse. Jesus is saying that he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, I thought this video was really good at explaining exactly what the law and the prophets was. So, under fair use laws, uh, I hope I'm going to share this video produced by The Bible Project. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods. Don't make idols. 
And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion. And you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land. They break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophet, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. All right, here's another quote from R.C. Sproul about how Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. R.C. Sproul writes, Certainly Jesus fulfills the function of the law by obeying it at every point. He also fulfills the teaching of the prophets by embodying all of the future predictions that they made. We know that both the law and the prophets point to the coming of Jesus. And when he came, that revelatory significance 
found its fulfillment. Here's another quote from the ESV Study Bible. It says, Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament and that it all points to him, not only in its specific predictions of a Messiah, but also in its sacrificial system, which looked forward to his great sacrifice of himself, in many events in the history of Israel, which foreshadowed his life as God's true son, in the laws which he only perfectly obeyed, and in the wisdom literature, which sets forth a behavioral pattern that his life exemplified. Jesus' gospel of the kingdom does not replace the Old Testament, but rather fulfills it as Jesus' life and ministry, coupled with his interpretation, complete and clarify God's intent and meaning in the entire Old Testament. So Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And that is affirmed throughout the scripture that God's word stands forever. Psalm 119.89 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Isaiah 40.80 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 10, says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, bring, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So, we have the eternal word of God, and Jesus says that it will remain until heaven and earth pass away, until all is accomplished. And so in this sentence, we have two untils, which can be a little bit difficult to understand. So he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So we have... Uh, this thing won't happen until this thing or until this thing. So kind of in a mathematic formula, we could say until A, B won't happen until C. Or we could say B won't happen until A or until C. So using an example, I'm getting ready to do some traveling to, to translate for Peter Shu. So this is what was on my mind. I could say, I won't go to New York until May 7th or until Peter calls me. Or to restructure the sentence the way it is in Matthew 5.18, I could say, until May 7th, I won't go to New York until Peter calls me. So what Jesus is saying is until the end of time, the law won't pass away until it is fulfilled. And so this is what Jesus does. Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus said in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In Luke 12, 50, before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And Jesus is talking about dying and, and suffering on the cross. He's not talking about being baptized with water there. Uh, and then when Jesus is... Uh, transfigured in front of his disciples, it says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. 
So here's Moses and Elijah. It's the law and the prophets, and they're talking with Jesus. And I'm, you know, I'm sure Jesus doesn't need to be reminded, but I can imagine the discussion that they're having. You know, okay, remember to ride in on a donkey, and remember that you're going to be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver. And you know, they're maybe they're going over all of the the prophecies that Jesus has to fulfill, and maybe uh, you know. I'm sure Jesus didn't need to review them, but you know, maybe that's the things that they're talking about. They're th- talking about all the scriptures that Jesus is going to accomplish. And then Jesus tells, explains that to his followers after he's resurrected in Luke chapter 24. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So after Jesus is resurrected, he opens the minds, it says in Luke 24, 45, it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, and then he goes on to explain that the scriptures are talking about him. And Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says that that the only way we understand the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is in Christ. And apart from Christ, there's a veil that remains that we don't see what the purpose of the Old Covenant was, except in Christ, because in Christ the veil is removed and we see what God was doing in the Old Covenant. So here on the screen I have a picture. Uh, This is Tom Dubois' picture of Noah, painting of Noah, and this is one of my favorite paintings of all time. It's called The Commission, and it has Noah in the foreground, and in in the background far away, there's kind of a frame of his ark that is very much under construction in this painting. And so the ark, you know, took about a hundred years to build, and so this is sometime early in that process where Noah is building this ark. And uh, this artist did four paintings of Noah, and this is the, the first one at the beginning where this word has come to the Lord, uh, to Noah, and he's doing what God told him to do. He's fulfilling the word of God that came to him. And then this last painting, this next uh, slide, shows the final painting in this artist's series, and it's called The Celebration. And here's Noah out of the ark, the rainbows in the sky, all of the animals have come out, and he has accomplished that thing that God gave him to do. So in that same way, Christ accomplished the word of God. He accomplished, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. He accomplished everything that God gave him to do. And so God's word cannot be voided. It can only be fulfilled. And that is what Christ did. Luke 16, 17 says, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And so what Christ is telling us in Matthew uh, 5, 17, he says, until the end of time, until heaven and earth pass away, the law won't pass away until it's fulfilled, until it's fulfilled. And so Christ fulfills the law. And so now the law is being set aside. But before we get to that element, we have to say, well, wait a second. What about the least of these commands? Because Jesus tells his followers, anyone who relaxes any of the least of these commands is going to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. So that is a conjunction between those two verses. Jesus says, therefore, and here's the dictionary definition of therefore, it means for that reason or because of that or on that ground. So Jesus has said, these things cannot pass away until they've been fulfilled. I have come to fulfill them. Therefore, if anyone relaxes any one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, he will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great 
in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is what are these commandments that Jesus is talking about? Which commandments is he talking about? Is he talking about the 613 commandments of the Torah? Or is it that, that he said that he has fulfilled? Or is he talking about the commandments that he's about to give them as part of his sermon on the mount when he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So he says, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, don't don't be angry with your brother. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't even lust after a woman. You have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. And so these commandments that Jesus is saying, don't relax these commandments because your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So let me read this from uh, another commentary on Matthew chapter 5. It says, The logical connection between verses 18 and 19 is different, focusing more on until all is accomplished, the closest phrase. The thought would be like this, All the law will remain until everything is accomplished. Therefore, since Jesus did accomplish everything, we are to teach these laws, the laws of Jesus, that he will soon give us, instead of the old laws that he critiques. This makes better sense in the context of the sermon and in the New Testament. It is Jesus' commandments that should be taught. Matthew 17 and Matthew 28, 20, Jesus explains why. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So at the end of his earthly ministry, remember when Jesus gives the great commission after he's risen from the dead, he instructs his disciples to teach others to observe all that he has commanded them. So he says, he's not telling them, go out and teach them the law and the prophets. He's saying, no, the commandments that I have taught you so the commandments that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5:19 are the commandments that describe a regenerated heart, the internal change, and that is described by the Old Testament prophets as the hallmark of the new covenant. Like that video talked about in Ezekiel 36:26, Jeremiah 31:33 uh, talks about that the 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 hallmark of this new covenant is going to be this flesh heart this new heart that's indwelled by God's spirit that has the law written on our hearts and this heart it, the the expression of this is love for your neighbor and that is what the law was after right Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands to love God and to love your neighbor but what, what the law was doing was just constraining people externally. What the new covenant does is transform people internally and gives them the ability to fulfill the command of the new covenant, which is to love as Christ has loved us. And so Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34, he says, a new command I give to you. He establishes a new covenant and with it comes a new command and he empowers us to live out that law of love. So the law addressed this external behavior. The kingdom of God addresses the new creation beginning with us. Like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, it says, if any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. New things have come. So Jesus tells his followers in verse 20 now, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom 
of heaven. And we've talked about this a lot on my podcast, but entering the kingdom of heaven is not about going to heaven when you die. It's about experiencing the reign and ruling presence of God in our lives right now. And when we die, we get to go and be in his presence forever. This is the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. It is both imputed, that is, God gives it to us as a gift, and it's embodied. So the the New Testament talks a lot about how God makes us righteous by faith, that Jesus paid the cost. Our sin was imputed to Jesus. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he knew no sin, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Jesus sin, and he made us his righteousness. So that's the imputed righteousness, but it's also embodied. So that means that it's expressed in our bodies. It's lived out through our lives. So the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees is both imputed and embodied. It's the righteousness that is gifted to us and flows out of a transformed heart. So we are gifted righteousness by grace. God just makes us right with him. He makes us justified. He makes us blameless. He makes us above reproach. It's a gift that we can't earn. It doesn't matter what we've done wrong. It doesn't matter how bad we are. When we trust in Jesus, when we receive his provision, God makes us righteous as a gift. But that is that, that gift transforms us from the inside out, and then it produces a life of righteousness, a life of living the way that God calls us to live, the, the way that God intended for things to be. Now, the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law, it says in Romans, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So we're made righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. And here I, I hesitate whether or not to get into all of these scriptures because there are so many scriptures that talk about this new covenant and this new righteousness that is by faith. And so I think, you know, if you've come this far in the podcast, you're probably down to, to hear some of these verses, but this is uh, a handful of verses that all set out this same truth. And this is important because remember, we always want to interpret areas that may be difficult to understand in the Bible through the areas that are easy to understand. So we want to take the points where we have questions and we want to understand them in harmony with the points that we understand clearly what the scripture is saying. So uh, let me just read some of these verses. This says, this is Romans chapter eight. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And you remember when um, the Jerusalem council met in Acts chapter 15, the Jewish uh, original group of believers were meeting together to decide whether or not these new Gentile Christians had to keep the law. And they chose not to burden them with the law. They decided that they didn't need to uh, put the Mosaic law on these new believers. They just gave them four instructions rather than all the law of the prophets. So had Jesus been telling his disciples, you don't relax any of the Torah. You know, anyone who relaxes any of the Torah commandments, they're gonna be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Surely his disciples in and, and Acts 15 would not have said, okay, no, we don't wanna burden them with the law. We're just going to tell them these four basic uh, kind of 
guardrails to protect them and to keep them safe and to keep them from causing too much controversy and offense to the other Jewish Christians, but they don't uh, set the law on them. Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Uh, This says Hebrews 8.13, and speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And that was written before the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. So it's, it's talking about it's ready to vanish away. Now, in our lifetime, it has vanished away. There is no old covenant. Uh, there, there is no way to keep. There are so many laws in that 613 laws that even if you wanted to, you, you couldn't keep them. There's no place to offer your sacrifices. There's no priest to come and inspect the mildew in your home or the rash on your arm. There, there's no way to follow the law now. It has vanished away. God has replaced it with the new covenant. The law and the prophets were until John, Jesus says in Luke 16. He says, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Again, Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's not voiding the law. He's not abolishing the law. He's fulfilling it. This is uh, Hebrews 7. It says, for on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. So Jesus fulfilled the law with all of its demands, then he set it aside. Just like Noah, Noah fulfilled what God gave him to do, then it was complete, then it was finished. That's what Jesus says on the cross, right? It's finished. He completed everything. This is uh, Colossians 2.14. It says, canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And Ephesians 2.15, he says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. One new humanity out of the two. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. And now there's one new man that Christ has made. There's, he, he abolished the hostility between Jew and Gentile. Now we're united in Christ. And uh, Gentiles have been grafted into Israel. Jesus himself sets aside the law. If we look at what Jesus teaches when he he tells them, now teach these commands, don't relax any of these commands, and then the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 38 and 39, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And, And Matthew is presenting Jesus as the new Moses, Jesus is the new covenant maker. Jesus is establishing his law because he has authority to as the son of God. And that was what was so offensive to the religious establishment. Who do you think you are? You can't, you can't reinterpret the law. And Jesus says, yes, I can, because he was the word made flesh, because he was the covenant maker. He had the authority to interpret the law. He had the authority because he was fulfilling the law. So he had the authority to establish a new covenant. And so even Matthew is set up that way with Jesus giving, you know, five long speeches like the five books that Moses wrote, the five books of Moses. And Moses goes up on a mountain to receive the law, Mount Sinai. Here we have Jesus giving the sermon on the mount. So he's gone up on this mountain. His followers have followed him. And here he's delivering 
these new commandments. And that's what he's talking about in verse 19 when he says, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. So this is Jesus, a type of new Moses, like Hebrews talks about, Jesus is greater than Moses, but one of the motifs of Matthew is showing Jesus as a new Moses, as one who has authority to interpret the law because he's fulfilled the law, and now he has the authority to make a new covenant because he's the son of God, he's God in the flesh. Uh, Jesus also uh, sets aside the law when he gives instructions to Peter in his dream in Acts chapter 10 or when he changed the dietary laws in Mark 7, 19. Hebrews 7, 12 says, for where there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So if you believe that Jesus is your high priest, then you have no business following the Mosaic law because only the descendants of Aaron could be priests under the Mosaic law. That's why Hebrews explains that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's a high priest whose tenure has no beginning, no end. He's an eternal high priest. But wherever there's a change in the high priest, there must be a change in the law. It can't be, he can't be a high priest under the Mosaic law. He's a high priest under the new covenant, under this eternal covenant that he establishes in his blood. So people who would want to go back to the Torah, to the 613 commandments, it's like Paul in Galatians, when he asked the Galatians, he says, you want to be under the law? Do you even know what the law says? Have you even read the law? So you, you have to understand and realize that if you want to go back under the law, then Jesus can no longer be your high priest. And, and living under the law is a curse. It's not a blessing. It's a curse. Paul called the old covenant a ministry of death carved in letters of stone. So the, the, this was a ministry that came through the old covenant to show us our need for Jesus. And now Jesus shows up, fulfills the old covenant and establishes a new one. And Jesus' great commission, like we already talked about, he said, teach them to observe all that I commanded you, not teach them to obey, you know, Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets. And so when Jesus says it is finished in John 19.30, he accomplished everything. And that's what he said in Matthew 5.18. He said, the law can't pass away until it is accomplished. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do, John 17.4. And then Galatians says it like this. The whole book of Galatians addresses this issue, but Galatians says in chapter three, uh, beginning in verse 10, it says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So Jesus has fulfilled the law. He set it aside. And now we live by this new command, this new covenant, the command of love, to love as Christ has loved us. And so that's the, the general idea that I'm trying to communicate. And I was teaching at this Chinese church plant. But there are some other ways of understanding what Jesus has said. Some people say that uh, all has not been accomplished, so we have to keep the whole law. That's very problematic because, as I mentioned, it's impossible, it's literally impossible to keep the 613 laws. So if you believe that Jesus is telling us to keep all of the law, we're in big trouble because there's literally no way to do it. 
Some people say, no, we have to recognize that the laws have not disappeared. They're still here. They're still present. They're still in our Bible. So there's, uh, we still have to keep the Torah, but we only keep the moral law. We're not keeping the ceremonial law or the dietary law or you know the civil law, but we're keeping the moral law. Well, that's problematic because the Bible doesn't divide up the law for us, and Jesus didn't say, keep these rules, but don't keep these rules. No, what Jesus says was, don't relax the least of these rules. So, if he's talking about the Mosaic law, we wouldn't know how to divide them because the Bible doesn't divide them like that. A third approach uh, would be to say, okay, now the law has been completed by Jesus on our behalf. Now, we're no longer obligated to keep it And so, that doesn't mean that the law has gone away, but that our obligation to keep it is gone because Jesus has already kept it for us. And that comes from another commentary on the Bible. Um, That's, again, problematic because it doesn't address the least of these commandments. And uh, it can lead to kind of antinomianism where we're saying, you know, we're completely free, anything goes, but uh, that's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, you know, you're completely free. We are free in Christ, but we're free from the law of Moses, but we're bound by love. We're not free from the law of love. And again, that doesn't address the issue of the least of these commandments. Another approach is to say that Christians do keep these laws, but we keep them by having faith in Christ. So there's a spiritual observance of the law, that we keep the law of circumcision by, uh, you know, circumcising our hearts, like Romans one twenty nine says, it's, or we keep the ritual laws through our faith, that we observe the Passover through acknowledging Christ as our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. That, so, in a lot of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul uses principles out of the law to, to make a point. And so, uh, some Christians have said, well, that's, that's how we keep the law, just like Paul did. We spiritualize the law. So, when Paul says, don't muzzle the ox, he's talking about, you know, sharing all good things and taking up offerings for the ministers in their midst. Paul says, don't muzzle the ox. People say, see, that's, that's fulfilling the law. Paul's still keeping the Torah. He's just spiritualizing it, and that's how we keep the law. He says, don't be unequally yoked. The Old Testament talked about you don't put two animals in a yoke unequally. And Paul says, don't be married to unbelievers. See, it's a spiritualizing of the law. Paul says, get rid of the leaven among you. That's a a spiritualizing of this mosaic concept of getting the leaven out of the house. Um, So, it's the idea that we we don't dismiss the law, but we get past the, the shadows of the law. Now, we're embracing the reality of the law and that all 613 commandments can be understood uh, spiritually, and we can keep them through our faith in Christ. The The problem with that is it seems to be shoehorning kind of these uh, these applications. Obviously, Paul made these, these applications, and he took principles from the law and applied them to other situations in life. But I don't think Paul's point was, this is now what we're doing. We're living by the 613 laws of the Torah, uh, spiritually applied. I don't think that's the point that Paul was making at all, and I think to say that is to really uh, kind of misconstrue what what Paul was doing in those situations. And again, I go back to Colossians 2.14 that says, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he set it aside. So, Hebrews talks about that setting aside of the obsolete covenant. 
Uh, Romans 13.10 says that love is the fulfillment of the law. And the whole law, Galatians says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is Christ saying, I've come to fulfill the law. Here's the new covenant. Here's the new command. And so uh, Paul writes, we don't overthrow the law by our faith. We uphold the law. So we still agree that man is sinful, that man needs a savior, but we say that Jesus is the Savior. And so we uphold the righteousness of the law by saying Jesus fulfilled the law for us and that as we believe in him, we are made righteous, we are transformed, and we live out this selfless, giving love that Christ embodied, that we now also embody that same love. And in this way, being made righteous by faith and living out the righteousness, the rightness of God's love, we become, our righteousness becomes greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. So in summary, Jesus has established a new covenant with a new command, and he has set us free from the law of Moses, but we are now bound in the law of love, and it's no longer burdensome to follow Jesus. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, that this is not like uh, someone came to me uh, after I preached this this morning, and they said, you know, um, it's like, the, the old covenant would have been like handing your son, you know, a five-gallon bucket of water and telling him to, to take it to the car. You know, it's burdensome, it's heavy, it's hard. He said that the new covenant is like handing your son a, a cup of, you know, lemonade and saying, here, take this, and he enjoys it, and it's not a burden, it's a delight to drink from. And this, this person who was telling me this was making this analogy that, that the old covenant was burdensome and it was difficult and it was hard and it was impossible. And the new covenant is light and it's refreshing because Christ has accomplished it for us. And we step into what Christ has done and his spirit indwells us and we can live in the new covenant. And so that those verses in Matthew 5, 17 to 20, they can be difficult to understand. They can be hard to understand. Jesus, what are you saying? The old covenant hasn't passed away. We can't relax any of the old covenant laws, but we have to really rightly divide the word and hear what God is speaking to us. So God bless you. I pray that this was hopeful, helpful for you. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. God bless you. We hear your tenderness In every star that glows In every cell that grows It's clear your excellence God, you're beautiful